This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York, Queens College. I'm Leslie Hankson from Georgetown University. And I'm Gabriel Rossman from UCLA. Today, family estrangement. Our guest is Christina Sharp from the Communications Department at the University of Washington. Our discussion was recorded on Wednesday, May 7th, 2019. And now we turn to Christina Sharp. Christina is an assistant professor in the Department of Communication at the University of Washington. And she has two forthcoming articles on family estrangement that we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first one is uh, Making Meaning of the Parent-Child Relationship, a Dialogic Analysis of Parent-Initiated Estrangement Narratives in the Journal of Family uh, Communication. And You're Not Welcome Here, a Grounded Theory of Family Distancing in Communications Research. Uh, Christina, I remember uh, first hearing uh, you on NPR around Thanksgiving, uh, and we talked all weekend long about uh, your research. And I'm I'm glad to be catching you in May. I guess this is your low season. I guess you make the media rounds at Christmas, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Easter. Is that uh, well? There's certainly right? a peak there, but with um, Mother's Day and Father's Day coming, this is oh, yeah, the yeah. second round. <laughs> So it's like any any time family gets together, someone's interested in in estrangement, I suppose. For sure. So, so first, so your work. Let's talk about uh, basic concepts. There are a lot of us who don't study the family. What exactly is family estrangement? So I define family estrangement as when at least one family member voluntarily and intentionally distances themselves because of an ongoing rela- negative relationship with another family member. And and uh, what kind of families experience estrangement? Like why do people estrange themselves from family members? I would say any family might experience family estrangement. Um, hmm. If you ask adult children why they distance themselves from their families, they often report things like a variety of abuse from physical, psychological to substance abuse or um, some mental health issues going on in the family. Parents might report other. um, So if it's a parent who has distanced their child, they might talk about something like elder abuse. Or if it's a parent who's been distanced by a child, they might um, attribute that to a, a, a new relationship that their child has where like maybe their spouse has turned the child against them. So the, there's a variety of reasons I would say that people give for why this happens. And you know that it's quite common, right? Like clinicians think that a lot of people don't even recognize that they're estranged or that estrangement exists and is causing problems. Did I read that right? So there's no official statistics, although um, there is a great nonprofit organization in the UK called Standalone who surveyed uh, much of like anyone who's really identifying as being estranged. They're coming in, um, and most studies I've seen are coming in somewhere around 20%. Wait, one fifth of families have an estrangement, an estranged relationship within them? Um, that is what the data is indicating so there's um a family study scholar megan gilligan she found in um a national 
survey, like a larger data set that about 12% of mothers identified being estranged from at least one of her children. And we know that this is more common amongst fathers. So I I don't think that 20% is all that um, unrealistic. Well, that's a and then, and 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 you you note that estrangement can exist in degrees, right? It's not like a binary either or situation, but people can estrange to different magnitudes. Yeah, so um, I would say that it's a misnomer that you're either estranged or not. Um, I would say that people are more or less estranged because estrangement mm-hmm. the characteristics of estrangement there's lots of them. So someone might. Um, be really physically distant, but go home for the holidays. Um, Someone might have no contact or someone might even live in the same town and not have any meaningful interaction. But I wouldn't, I would say that they're all a stranger, just a a different flavor of it. Let's talk about your study. So you spoke to, uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the first one. You spoke to 52 adults who you say engaged in communicated practices to distance themselves from their parents. So is that what you mean? Like they just stop calling or maybe they'll only show up on the obligatory sort of Christmas and Easter. These were your subjects? Yeah. So I talked talked to 52 adult children and they kind of talked about eight different um, behaviors they were engaging in to varying degrees. Um, two of them had to do with communication in terms of how much I'm talking to my family versus are those conversations meaningful? Um, mm-hmm. Two of them had to do with emotion. So do I feel emotion for you? And if I do, is that positive or negative? Okay. Physical distance is typically a characteristic of estrangement. Something I call role reciprocity. So the idea, are we doing things that family members do? Okay. Um, a desire to reconcile is um, up for grabs. A mm-hmm. lot of people, uh, at least the adult children, discuss not wanting to reconcile. Huh. And then also the degrees to which people took legal action against their family mm-hmm. or um, legal action that distanced themselves. So, for example, some people changed their name or changed their durable mm-hmm. power of attorney. Wow. And, 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 when you and you noted that when you I remember hearing this in your interview when you spoke to a lot of the parents who were estranged they just they didn't even know why they they why their 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 children were were pushing them out so that comes from um Kristen Carr and her colleagues study uh, about estrangement attributions or reasons why parents um, identified being estranged from their child and and many of them said they didn't know why mm-hmm um, and and that's it, a lot more typical amongst parents than it is children. So the majority of children who I have spoken to, in fact, all of them had a reason for why it happened. Mm-hmm. But again, I was talking to people who initiated the distance, so they would have a reason. Yeah. So I, you know, so just full disclosure, like as someone who is estranged from her mother, right. Um, like I, the question that I have, like in terms of parents not knowing the reason, is it that parents don't know the reason or is it that they don't want to confront the reason? My question exactly. I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's definitely possible. So there, as far as I'm aware, has never been a dyadic study. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
for lots of obvious reasons. Yeah. So it's it's also possible that there's a whole group of parents who legitimately haven't engaged in any problematic behavior that their their mm. child has decided that they don't want a relationship. I mean, it's mm. certainly possible. That's possible, but you know, I like uh, I don't know. I remember listening to this one this American Life episode. Um it's the episode where they're the kids who like they have their um, single mom and she's a horrible mother. <laughs> she's a really horrible mm. mother and they make up an imaginary family that they babysit for, right? In order to get away mm. from her. And you know, not like the for me the main point of that episode was you know, they I, I think one of the kids actually confronts her at some point in time and she was like I did I was I did the best I could, right? And mm. I I think like for some of us who have parents who are just really horrible parents, <laughs> I think um, mm. we don't understand that they were working just with what they had, right? And it's just the luck of the draw that you happen to have a parent who didn't have much, right, to give back. And so uh, I, I'm thinking that that might be part of the disconnect, right? It's like, like the the kids not understanding that their parents actually did what they thought was the best given what they had to work with and the kids being like that if that was the best that was horrible <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think certainly there's varying reasons and to degrees of severity about why this happens. But I think you have hit uh, on something really important, which is a lot of times people argue about what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say it doesn't matter what happened. It matters what people perceived happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, people are mm-hmm. arguing about the realities of things, but, like, if your child perceived this has happened, you need to meet them where they are. Um, Interesting. And not try to convince them that something else has happened. But same thing with parents. If parents have a particular perception, um, I would encourage everyone to do some perspective taking, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's hard to, um, which is extremely hard to do. But um, it's definitely like the perceptions of what happened are what people need to start behaving. Um, people are behaving on their perceptions, I guess is what I'm saying, yeah. as opposed to what actually happened. Yeah. So with this, you know, um, I forget who somebody asked, like, well, you know, is it always the case that the parents did something? I, I think sometimes this kind of thing can actually be driven by the kids having done something. You know, I mean, oh, let's yeah. say an adult child has a severe substance abuse problem, um, which yeah. happens a lot, mm-hmm. especially now that we have the opiate epidemic. Um, you know, it could be that either, you know, a lot of times the parents, uh, you know, will ostracize the kids after first trying to bail them out because, you know, that's actually what they're counseled to do, um, you know, through, uh, you know, basically code therapy or something like that. Well, and it's also possible parents need to distance their children to protect other children in mm-hmm. the home. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I think that, so the, we looked at people's, uh, so parents who distance themselves from their children, we looked at their narratives and we found that in, in a different way, distancing yourself from your child in some ways is even harder because of what we were talking about before, this um, ideology of intensive parenting, 
Like, what mm. parent, quote unquote, gives up on their child? I know. Right. So there's right. Uh, even if that even if the reason the parent does it is like a really good reason, you know, they they were being abused or they were protecting other people in the house. The the culture mm. isn't very sympathetic. Yeah. How, how often do you look at the you know the the both sides and say oh the estranger really is the one sorting stuff out? Like, or, or do you find that in general, the person doing the estrangement, like there has to be something serious going on for it to get to that point? Well, whoever is initiating distance is not mm-hmm. like whatever they're perceiving is typically very severe. Okay. People just don't become estranged. In fact, to the point where you get you believe that your family is a voluntary relationship, it takes quite a lot because our culture tells us we can never get away from our families. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, so by the time a person gets to the point where they're like, that can't be, it's usually because something very severe has happened. Yeah. I mean, I come from like a real, a very Catholic immigrant family right you know and it's like like there's a commandment right that's like all around Mm -hmm. honoring thy mother and father which our interpretation is right you know like family is everything and so suck everything up and you know what i mean and and that's it like it doesn't matter what people did or what or or what or what people do it's just about family and maintaining that family and uh i'm like i assume that like even outside of catholic immigrant families that this whole like this whole kind of norm of just saying you know what you just need to like family is family and you need to stick with family uh, is one that's just widespread in the U S. And if that's the case, if you're saying that one in five, like people have this kind of estrangement, I think that's huge. Well, I, I think it's funny that, you know, um, Christina said in our culture, which I think is true in a way, but I think it's probably less true in our culture than it is in almost any other. Right. I mean, what's distinctive about American society in particular and, you know, Western educated, industrialized, rich democratic societies in general is our intense emphasis on individualism that helps make possible something like ostracism from your own uh, close kin. I, I feel like in most traditional societies or even many, you know, fully modern societies, but not, you know, as individualistic as ours it would be almost impossible to ostracize yourself from kin. Uh, you know, and the the level might be a lot less than 20%. So, yeah. So, I mean, my students, um, when I talk about this with my students, I have many students who uh, grew up in China. And they tell me there isn't a word for this in our culture. Mm-hmm. There's just not a word but- for it. And I know that um, one of my colleagues who studies – um, like a- Azerbaijan, uh, she says that the mechanisms for family distancing, um, I'm not sure if it's Azerbaijan or Armenia, but she studies both. And she says like the, people put it in the newspaper, like it just looks different, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm. Um, it's maybe more formalized in different cultures. Like, uh, people are disowned from their families. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that culturally this looks different, but in some, you're absolutely right, that in some cultures, because of 
the the values that they have that estrangement really isn't viable. How, how often is it ritualized? Because like you, you always hear, I've never personally witnessed this, but you occasionally hear about Jewish families sitting shiva for you know, which is Hebrew for mourning, um, for a child who in fact is alive as a form of you know symbolic ostracism. I've, I've never heard that. So what was your question? Oh, uh, I said, how often is the ostracism not just something that happens, but something that is uh, formalized with some type of ritual? Uh, so, for instance, uh, you know, sitting Shiva for a kid who is, in fact, you know what, I'm not like having a funeral, mm-hmm. sort of. Yeah, I'm not sure, yeah, basically. Actually, uh, some people have ritual. Like, I talked to some people who ritualized it not in that way. Um, so, for example, one of my participants, um, her family, they all got tattoos hmm. that kind of marked them as a family, like that this person didn't have that. So they weren't in the family wow. anymore. Wow. That's extreme. Mm-hmm. That's and presumably clear... that was not the same type of family that would sit shit for somebody. <laughs> well, not with the tattoos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even I think when people change their names, that's mm-hmm. ritualistic. I, but I, I think mm-hmm. that um, the practices probably vary quite a bit. But mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard of, like, you know how sometimes there's divorce celebrations? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't mm-hmm. heard that with estrangement mm-hmm. yet. Christina, do you think that um, do you think that estrangement is um, or family estrangement is is still considered uh, a form of deviant behavior? Uh, and if so, like, what do you think is seen as as more deviant, a parent distancing from a child or a child distancing from parents? I think that it, being estranged or in the distancing process is very stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Both both sides, for different reasons, they have different constraints. Um, children obviously have power and equity to their parents, especially if they're young children, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, parents have that extra layer of cultural expectation. I think that um, – all my participants talk about feeling judged hmm. by a culture that believes a family is forever. We, I think we often conflate biology and love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so regardless of what side you're on, um, it's really hard for people to resist this idea that, and, and we see in the media too, right? That families, you know, are, we can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. This is, uh, reiterated to us all the time. So I think regardless of what side you are going to face um, stigma, especially when people don't want to talk about the reasons for why they're estranged, because that is also stigmatized. But do you feel it's healthy? Like you've seen a lot of cases of estrangement. How often do you think to yourself, oh, you've made the right choice? Uh, you know, I think estrangement can be a really healthy solution to an unhealthy environment. Mm-hmm. Often for the person who's in at least initiating the distance, uh, typically that's a, a great choice for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't tell our friends to go back to an abusive relationship, but we give this advice mm-hmm. to people trying to distance themselves from their family all the time. Huh. There's lots of reasons why a person might want to distance themselves from their family. And somehow we hold them to different expectations often. I have one last question for you, Christina. 
For those who do feel the need to separate themselves from a family relationship that is just not good for them, what are the successful sort of adaptations or coping mechanisms to the stress of doing so that you've observed? So are you asking me how people like remain resilient as they do it? Yeah, exactly. Like how, how do they, yeah, how do they, you know, weather the shame or the, the judgment or feelings of guilt and how do they build something that would take the role of the lost family if there was a family that was in fact lost? So often um, people create families of voluntary kin. Um, so they because they've been able to jettison more structural definitions of family, that opens up possibilities for creating families of people who are defined more transactionally or uh, task oriented. So like, do we do the things that families do? Do we interact the way that families interact? Do we love each other? Do we care for one another? So I think it, um, for some people, they're able to really create a, a new sense of family. And so, and I think what you're like, that point that you're making, um, I think goes to this other point that, you know, People who like, or, or at least some of these people who have these distancing, these distances from uh, from their family or other family members, they still, in their minds, recognize for themselves the importance of family so much so that they try and recreate a new one in some ways. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think having support is really important, um, no matter what that looks like or who that comes from. You've been listening to The Annex, a sociology podcast. A special thank you to Christina Sharp from the University of Washington. Christina wrote, it was the straw that broke the camel's back, exploring the distancing processes communicatively constructed in parent-child estrangement backstories in the Journal of Family Communication. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Twitter at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer for 2018-2019, Lisette Moreno. On behalf of Leslie Hinkson and Gabriel Rossman, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening, and have a great summer.